You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself, Matt Lane, and Craig Stout all get together to talk about what we saw on tape from last week's game and look ahead to next week's opponent. Uh, Coming off a Monday night victory uh, on the road against a division rival in the Denver Broncos. What a night it was. We have so much to cover about that game. Um, We're going to talk to you about uh, Patrick Mahomes, obviously. We're going to talk to you about the defensive side of the football, get get a little bit of an idea of what what we can expect against the Jacksonville Jaguars, Um, and, and we'll always end every episode with a giant mailbag. But we've got to start with the kid. I mean, we have to. Um, that was the week four performance from Patrick Mahomes was the best of his young career. And that's saying a lot. And I mean, he, he continues to exceed my expectations. He continues to, um, do things that I did not expect to be happening so quickly. You're not supposed to have a signature win four games into your time as the leader of a franchise. This is abnormal. This is this is beyond what um, promising quarterbacks are supposed to do. And I, I said this yesterday or on Monday. Yeah, I said this yesterday on the uh, on the Arrowhead Pride post game show. Um, if he had if he had done half of the things that he's done to this point, I think we'd all be incredibly encouraged. But instead. He's 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 gone well beyond what most young quarterbacks are capable of doing so quickly. He's a legitimate MVP favorite. And I've tried really hard to to temper my expectations. I've tried not to get too high or too low with what the kid's done, but he's making it really difficult for me to do that. Um, and this week was a prime example of what is getting me so excited about this kid and what makes me think that he's not going to bust. He's, he's going to be able to sustain this success. He's going to reach his full potential. And um, I, was, I was so impressed with his growth working from the pocket this week. Um, there was so many little indicators in his work in the pocket that show growth. He wasn't bailing too quick. He wasn't trying to get out as quickly as possible. He was working through structure. He was timing his exits perfectly. And he was making more subtle movements and being more space efficient to um, to maintain integrity within the pocket. And that was a ginormous step. And it's something we really hadn't seen as much in the first three weeks. That was one of my biggest issues with him coming in. 
but he made he made big strides. We'll be talking about that on Thursday on Arrowhead Pride. Um, just so impressed with the growth. Um, you know, when he's getting front side pressure, his his habits are: I need to just run out of the pocket, out the back of it, try to beat the the edge coming off the edge, and and try to loop around him, and then and then get into to a scramble mode. This week, front side pressure, subtle steps up, trying to look downfield, find a find an option downfield, and then exiting as a last resort. And I think some of the success, and, and you know, he was incredibly productive outside of the pocket. I think it's partially because of when he chose to leave. He wasn't so quick to leave. You know, scramble drills. Once they're initiated for the offense, they're initiated for the defense too. But if they're hanging in, the, if your quarterback's hanging in the pocket, he's got a the the defense has to mainly maintain integrity on their defense too. And then once that quarterback exits, then scrambled rules are initiated for both sides of the ball. And the timing in which he was escaping was helping him find great options. And I think that's just that's that was a very encouraging moment there. On top of the left-handed throw. And the, the second down and 30 that he turned into a third and manageable. Throwing across the, the hash marks into traffic, um, into the middle of the field and getting Travis Kelsey in the red zone. Throwing across his body and hitting Tyreek Hill near the sticks. Just so many impressive little moments in week one. And we're going to be talking about him all week on Arrowhead Pride. Um, just a fantastic effort from a young quarterback in a, in a moment that um, elevated an already incredible start to his career to something beyond that. This is, this is the future. This is the future of the NFL. And he is, uh, he's in Kansas City. Let that sink in, guys. A um, couple other you know, little notes about the game outside of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, just think it's important. Chiefs have three road wins now, two against division opponents. Um, you couldn't be asking for a better start. That that makes what Mahomes is doing that much more impressive. Um, it's really, I think it was really important that they got that win, both because it was a divisional game, um, also because the next two teams they play are probably the uh, two other best teams in the AFC, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Tom Brady and the Patriots. Two big tests. Um, you could run the risk very easily of being 3-3, three and three, even if Mahomes plays well. You could wind up being 3-3 three and three if you don't win that game. So that's a huge, huge uh, piece of uh, piece of this thing. It's a, it, it really is. Um, really a little concerned about Sammy Watkins and, and D Ford. Hopefully they can get back. Uh, you would like to have those guys in a big game against the Jaguars. Um, and then one other little note just thought was interesting about the game. Charvarius Ward. Three tackles, two solo tackles on special teams. Uh, good start, good debut for the young guy. Um, we're going to bring in Matt Lane here in a second. We'll talk to Craig in a little bit after that, and we'll do a big Nerd Squad mailbag uh, to close the show. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back. And now we're joined by Matthew Lane, the uh, film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. How about that game in Denver, Matty? Ooh, that was a wild one, man. I don't know how you guys were able to go to sleep after even doing the radio show afterwards and then having to go home and go to sleep. I was had to be up for the rest of the night anyway, but anybody else that had the option to go to sleep wouldn't have been able to do it. Dude, I was up till like two. Like I still I couldn't shut it off. My mind was still like working. And I mean, it's kind of like when you're like 
when we're over there at the station, it's a complete blur. Like I'm just kind of like in a daze. But like trying to process everything afterwards, I couldn't go to sleep. I there was just so many moments in that game that were just incredible. Um, I I it was amazing. Um, I I kind of want to ask you about that game. Like, what was the best thing you saw from Pat Mahomes? Uh, try to boil it down to one. Just just try. Just what was the one oh, thing? It's very simple. The smile after picking up the first down and having it called back and knowing he has to do it again. <laughs> is, is there any other answer? No, no answer at all. No, none. That, just no. that one. <laughs> but realistically, I mean, I really enjoyed how Andy Reid didn't have a dominant coaching performance from the aspect that he wasn't getting guys wide open all over the field like he has been the rest of this year. Maybe it was the man coverage Denver was using or just all the different looks, but guys just weren't running wide open all over the place. And part of that's probably Watkins getting hurt pretty early on too. But Pat pretty much had to put the team on his back. And yeah, he got help from Hunt and Kelsey, especially as the game went on. But for the most part, guys weren't open. He was just having to create everything on his own. And I mean, that's just great to see when you know that Reed doesn't have to actively outcoach the other team by a long shot to have a chance to win. I think when you add in the fact that Sam Watkins didn't play basically the entire game, like having to adjust things because of that too, like I think that's what makes it more impressive too. He would have, I think he would have made a big factor as the game went on. Yeah, and I think it's kind of going a little under the radar. Just like that's this is why the move was made. Once Watkins went down, we kind of lost all ability to have single coverage across the board with multiple different guys that can beat that one-on-one coverage. Like that was the whole reason they brought him in was now all of a sudden you have three guys that can all beat their matchup, even if it's a good defender across from them, Kelsey, Watkins, Hill, all able to get open at will. And now all of a sudden you lose one of those guys and we're kind of back to where we were last year and that teams are going to hit Kelsey off the line and then push him to a linebacker before somebody leaves him. And then Hill's just having people play off of him with a little bit of their help. And now you just have Chris Conley, Demarcus Robinson, and Demetrius Harris trying to win all these one-on-one matchups against pretty solid defenders. It just wasn't as clean as it was in years pa- or games past. You said something interesting. I think it was today. Like t- The last two days have kind of run together. It might have been last night. I don't know. But you said something uh, in, the, in the messages that this kind of reminded you of a Alex Smith script uh, at, uh, in Denver. Can you, you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, some of it's going to be because it was man coverage, so you are going to run a few more like horizontal kind of concepts with your receivers. But especially once Watkins went out, we didn't get to see the offense really get flowing before he did. But the rest of the game when we had to throw the ball, it was a lot of short stuff, and anything downfield was pretty much as Mahomes broke contain and whether guys were supposed to be there or they just kind of moved into that spot because Mahomes was on the move, you don't can't really tell. But for the most part, there's a lot of swing passes, a lot of screens, quick little bubbles to guys. It was just a little bit more of a underneath passing attack. And I think a lot of it had to do with just the simple fact that guys weren't getting open as often as you would expect this offensive firepower to do. And I do think the, the first point you made is about it being, you know, a little bit more man coverage. I think that was a big piece of why that was. I, I'm totally with you. Um, I wanted to ask you about... Uh, Eric Murray, because I know you wrote a big piece about him, I think, this summer. Um, How about Eric Murray making a big play? Right. I'm real happy that he did. I did write about him over the summer. I thought he was going to take a big step forward and and kind of become a not necessarily a cornerstone of the team, but just like somebody that's super important and necessary for the team. And he might not quite be there. He might just kind of 
plateau out as this really solid player, but it was really nice to see him come away with this big play. I mean, it wasn't just a big play. It was a phenomenal play he made. He read the ball. He read the receiver's hands. Well, not really the ball, mostly just the receiver's hands and eyes and just took the ball away from him at the catch point. So it was great to see that splash play. I think he kind of gets a bad rap from most fans who just don't see how much he's always consistently good instead of great. That was that was such an impressive way, like uh, just an impressive individual effort to make that play. I, I was so impressed. You know, this wasn't a tip drill. This was like making a, a legit play on a ball uh, that and keeping his feet in bounds too. Yeah, everything about the play was great. And it's like it's something that's going to kind of just get washed under because Pat was so great down the stretch and this was this big come from behind win. But for the most part, Eric Murray throughout his career has just kind of been a ball denial guy. He makes some nice tackles. He'll deflect the pass here and there. But when you think about Murray and like his how people think about him, it's a guy that misses the splash plays. You know, he missed the sack on Ben Roethlisberger. People killed him for it, but they ignored kind of the rest of the game that was pretty solid. So it was just really nice to see him come away with a very like highlight splash play because he doesn't make a lot of those. He doesn't have to to be a good player, but he already doesn't. So it was just really good to see him get one on the highlight reel. I know some. This is something we've talked about a lot between you, me, and Craig. But you know, I think there's a lot of value in just how assignment sound he is, especially with some of the. I don't even want to call them high variants. I think it's just inconsistently sound players that are on this defense right now. His presence as just being an assignment sound guy, I think, is a very important piece to to this defense. Yeah, I agree. Um, So what we're seeing right now is you just have a lot of coverage breakdowns and kind of the first guy to see them, it seems like it's Eric Murray. So you constantly get these plays where he runs into the screen or the frame at the last couple seconds and makes a play 30 yards down the field. And it's kind of like, oh, why is the offensive player running away from Murray? Well, little do you know that somebody else is out of position. They're not doing what they're supposed to. Ron Parker, (laughs) we've had a couple Steven Nelson ones. I mean, there's plenty. Terrence Smith, I'm sure, is involved with them. I don't know, but I'm sure he is. That's just, um, that's just a guess, but it's probably a very – it's a it's calculated probably right. Breland, Breland Speaks probably dropped sort of into coverage, <laughs> but uh, no. He just it's dropped. Just, he's, he just dropped. The guy that's never on the hit ground the ground. Just hit the ground. <laughs> but, yeah, Murray's he does the right things. He seems to see the field pretty well. He makes a few mistakes, but he just doesn't make as many or as big as it seems like the rest of the secondary does right now. So there's definitely something for that. I just kind of wish people saw all of the not bad that he does and then compared that to the one bad great play he doesn't make. Well, now we get them making the great play, so like everyone's real happy with him this week. But for the most part, I don't think he played significantly better than he has the weeks past. He just happened to cash in on the highlight, so now it looks a lot better. Maddie, this is going to be really hard for you because you are known to write 85,000 words in an article. Can you give me a one-tweet explanation of what you know about the Jaguars' defense, what you've seen from them? You're going to get one thread on Twitter. Um, (laughs) Oh, oh no. (laughs) The last game that I watched the Jaguars all the way through, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces, but we watched the Patriots game, and pretty much what it is, the Jags' defense is great. They're going to get some pressure from the inside, the outside. Their linebackers are super fast, great in coverage. So, like, there's not really a weakness. And the secondary, I think, everybody knows about. So it's a cover three base, but they kind of play matchup cover three. So it's a mixture of man and zone. So there's not going to be these stagnant holes for us to get guys running down the seams or down the middle of the field all the time. But you're also going to have corners that are challenging guys off the line of scrimmage that aren't going to be chasing completely across the field. So it's just kind of a 
it's a whirlwind of the worst kind of matchup for the Chiefs coming off of the back of what seemed to be the worst offensive performance from the skill position and coaching side of things just because they weren't getting guys wide open. So this is definitely going to be a huge test for them. Totally agree. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a huge test for Mahomes. Matt, uh, thanks as always. Let's uh, let's bring you back on here a little bit for the mailbag. And now it's time to talk to Craig Stout, defensive analyst for Arrowhead Pride, longest tenured member of the uh, of the Arrowhead Pride team. Uh, but had a little gap there, didn't you, Craig? But now you're back. Just a little, but you know, you guys welcome me back with open arms. I'm like I'm like Mitch Schwartz. You know, I was with the Browns and then I got cut and I was welcomed with open arms. But I'm still the guy that's been going strong for the longest amongst our group. Craig, do you know who you really are kind of like more than uh more than Mitch Schwartz? Who? Uh, didn't Ron Parker get cut by the Chiefs and then brought uh, back by the Chiefs? Okay, Kent. Did you just you just set me up so perfectly? I did. I did. Kent, take a back seat. I got some hot takes here. Oh no. <laughs> okay, please. I I will shut up. Uh, guys, I've been beating around the bush for a long time here. I have been sitting here trying not to crap all over Ron Parker. It's been four weeks. I waited to see if he could get back up to speed and get the Chiefs defense together and everything like that. He can't. He was god-awful against the Denver Broncos this week. They specifically attacked him right off the bat. In the first 15, they motioned guys to get him in the box to run directly at him. Against uh, up against the goal line, they motioned Demarius Thomas over him so that he could pancake block him in the gap. Ron Parker blew so many coverages this week and missed so many tackles and was targeted. He was terrible. And we've spent all this time talking about the Chiefs' communication and lack thereof and not knowing where anybody is on the field. You know, the last time that they actually knew where they were supposed to be on the field, it was week one of last year. The guy that's called the defense that entire time since then is Ron Parker. They need to find a replacement. They need to find one immediately. We're done. He's going to kill us at some point here, and we've been lucky to escape it so far. That's Yeah, that's my Ron Parker take. I'm out. But Craig, Craig, he had an interception in week one. Yeah, so did Eric Murray this week, and it was a far more <laughs> impressive one. <laughs> Wait, I it what t- a tip in a a tip in being in position or an overthrow is isn't impressive? No, it's not. <laughs> it's really not. Dude, I I'm very much in that boat. Um I I've kind of been in that boat for a while too. Um and just the the thing that drives me up a wall is watching him try to tackle Oh, it's abysmal. He he never wraps up. He throws a arm or a shoulder at a guy and expects that that's going to slow him up for somebody else to make a tackle. And the Chiefs are not gang tackling at all this year. That's one of the problems. If there's a missed tackle, there's not somebody there to help clean it up. So Ron just ends up bodying guys out in the open field and letting them run around him. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I know the team likes him <laughs> and everything like that, but... I'm done with him. He he's hurting us on the football field right now. I know the I know the defensive back room loves him. And yes. we know that. Um okay, I'm just going to ask this. I just if when Eric Berry, when Eric Berry comes back, 
who gets taken off the field? Ron Parker. Is it? Do you? Okay, but here's 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 why I ask. Are we sure? Are we sure that they would pull uh, pull Eric Murray and uh, and leave? Or are we sure that are you sure that they would pull Ron Parker? Are well, you positive? Well, what what does Ron Parker do well right now, Kent? If I were to ask you that, what would you say that he does well? What's what's the best part of his game at the moment? He doesn't have one. Right. But the reason, but the reason I ask this is because they brought him back. They <laughs> thrust him into position right off the bat, and. I've seen weirder things happen. Like I, we know Ron Parker is not good at football right now, but it just feels like one of those things where they're not going to do the right thing from a performance perspective. Oh, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? I do, I do. I see what you're saying, and it's it's a I, tough pill to swallow. And they could even come at it from the standpoint of the last time that Ron Parker was good was next to Eric Berry. I'm sure that they'll try and push that if it is Ron Parker coming in and starting next to Eric Berry. But the truth of the matter is, he's not good as a deep safety right now. He's not spinning down and defending the run well. Eric Murray almost exclusively is as a slot safety against tight ends now. So I just don't understand what it is that Ron Parker offers that's better than the other guys that they have on the roster right now. This is one of those things. These are the things I think about. And it's kind of, I don't know if it's just being built in me to expect the worst. Like, I would I would love to go out and be staunch on Twitter and say, the second Eric Berry comes back, that's the last time we see Ron Parker start. But I just, I, in my gut, I feel like that would come back to bite me. Well, and I mean, I, I can sit here and tell you how terrible that he'll be. But if they line up <laughs> next to each other and he starts having a good game, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, the, the point it, of it is, he's the guy calling the defense, and that secondary doesn't know what they're doing for over a year now. Something something needs to change. There's a there's a commonality there. Um, yeah. Okay, real quick, just wanted to ask you, more concerned about coverage busts or tackling right now? Uh, tackling. Tackling is at all three levels. The coverage busts are abysmal. And I just got done talking about him here. I think Eric Berry helps with that, just coming out there, understanding who needs to be where and making sure everybody's on the same page. I think a lot of the coverage busts can get cleared up if Eric Berry is on the field. But the tackling problem is not going away anytime soon. Why, when did these guys turn into such bad tacklers? Anthony Hitchens used to be a good tackler. He was a good one last year. He comes here, sits down with my son Reggie, eats barbecue all day, and they both turn into <laughs> soft inside linebackers. When did that happen? Alan Bailey got bodied by Royce Freeman this week. I mean, <laughs> how does that ha- It can't happen. Something needs to change. They either need to just spend weeks upon weeks upon weeks doing tackling drills, or I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to know one way that they could fix some of the tackling issues? Uh, get rid of these players. Get rid of Ron Parker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I uh, asked Maddie this earlier. I want. I. I don't expect you to have a full understanding of what the Jaguars are at this point. Give me a one tweet explanation of what you've seen from the Jaguars' offense so far. Do I have to stay within 140 characters? I mean, if you've got more, 
I mean, mad respect. Um, and if but no, we're gonna go if, at, at tra- not traditional one forty. Let's do the let's do the the compromise with people. The two hundred and eighty tweet. Gotcha. I, I did actually watch the Jaguars offense today for a little bit. I watched them against. Uh, who did they play this last weekend? Oh my goodness, I can't remember. Oh, the Jets. The Jets. Um, that doesn't count. You didn't watch the Jets game, did you? I, I did watch I mean, maybe the our, Jets game. Maybe our defense. I mean, our defense. I'm I, trying to compare like to like. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Bortles is better than he gets credit for other than being, you know, a, a good place joke, you know, one liner there. But he actually has looked pretty decent this year. He finds Dede Westbrook on a lot of crossing routes, and they've done a lot of damage with Dede over the past couple weeks. I know Fournette's out. Yeldon is a very capable back, especially catching the ball. I think that those two guys are going to do a ton of damage to the Chiefs defense next week. And, you know, they just line up and they like to run the ball. Like, we might see them hand the ball off 42 times this weekend. And that's a big problem if we, you know, expect that they're going to be similar to the uh, Broncos offense this past week. Uh, that's great stuff, Craig. That was like way more than, uh, than 280 characters. Hey, it's uh, nerd they, squad. We always go long mad. Yeah. No kidding. Mad respect for that. You're just completely on brand. Uh, <laughs> fantastic work. Okay. How about we, uh, bring Maddie on. We'll do a little mailbag here. Sounds good. And now it's time for my favorite part of the week. Not just the pod fellas. Getting together, talking ball with the nerd squad. How are we doing today, Maddie? Oh, we're doing good. I get to talk to Ron Parker a little bit now, so that's cool. And what the listeners don't know, we've been sitting here for like three hours just kind of talking off pod about, you know, random stuff from player to player. So we're feeling pretty good at this point in time. We saved, we we wasted all of the good stuff for not recording, Craig. <laughs> way to sell it, way <laughs> to sell us. Um, let's jump into it. Uh, at Kel Dexhar asks, do we see Armani getting more snaps next week? Also, who's on the market for us to target defensively? I'm assuming that's not just free agents, but maybe even like a trade candidate. Um, Craig, start us off. Uh, I I think Armani is slowly going to get more snaps. I know that he hasn't necessarily increased from week to week, but he seems to get a little more comfortable out there. Uh, His two blitzes that he had there at the end of the game were great. Uh, That's more than some of our safeties have shown this year. Ron Parker. So we'll, you know, we'll hopefully hopefully see a little bit more out of Armani Watts. Maybe he can start taking some snaps from Ron and, and work into there. Maddie, uh, go there, and then we'll come back to the second half of that question. Yeah, I'm not a huge Armani Watts fan. I think kind of everybody knows that right now. I don't think he's a bad player or anything. I just don't know if he fits our particular defense great. But at this point in time, I am ready to see him trot out there over Ron Parker just because if I'm going to see silly missed tackles and coverage busts, I'd rather it be from a rookie, I guess. So I hope he starts getting more snaps, but I'm kind of with Craig. I don't think he's going to take snaps away from Ron Parker at any point in time. As it stands, Ron Parker's playing pretty much every snap for us, and I don't see that changing. You're just going to get more and more snaps with Watts is going to be in there and kind of that dime linebacker role, it looks like. And as long as he can tackle better than he was doing so far this year and through college, that's a good role for him, and I can see the snaps picking up a little bit more. Okay, uh, Craig, give me some candidates on the defensive side of the football. Trade, free agency, anybody that could come in and help at this point in the season. 
Well, at this point, Eric Reed was really the major free agent that could have kind of slotted in and played the role that Bob wanted him to. Tyvon Branch is out there. I, I don't know that he's healthy. I don't know that he can be a factor. Uh, as far as a trade goes, uh, Landon Collins has been brought up by our buddy Bearcat. He he would be a, a good candidate guy on his, the last year of his deal. Maybe somebody the Giants don't want to pay. He's a really good safety. I think he'd be expensive to trade for, though. So Maddie, I don't know, Maddie. Yeah. Maddie, what would you give up for Landon Collins? For Landon Collins, I. But we're starting at a second round pick, and I mean, if you're willing to sign him and keep him here, which is going to be a pretty substantial contract, then I'm willing to throw in some more stuff with that second round pick. But it's similar to the Earl Thomas trade. He's maybe not as good as Earl Thomas is, but he's pretty close, and he's a lot younger. So I mean, I'm willing to give up some capital for him because. The way the NFL is right now, you're not getting top-end safety play from drafting in the bottom half of the first round. It's just simply not going to happen. Derwin James shouldn't have been there when he was. He should have already been off the board, and that's about as late as you're getting this top-end safety play. So if you're looking for that, you're going to have to trade for it or sign it in free agency, and Landon Collins makes sense from that perspective. Oh, fair. Uh, let me uh, let me kind of call an audible here real quick. Let's talk Dorian O'Daniel. Same question oh. kind, of, kind of with Armani, like – are we going to see more snaps from Dorian O'Daniel here in the next couple weeks? Maddie, start us off. If we don't, I'm going to be disappointed. I just, I mean, we are seeing Terrence Smith's snaps go down, which is good. It's just not coming at the same price as getting Dorian O'Daniel on the field, which seems like it should be an easy call. So I'm not sure where the snap counts are going. I hope they're going up. I know he got out on the field a little bit, and Craig's going to tell us about it. I just hope we get to see him out there in more scenarios rather than just specific play calls. Yeah, the specific play call that he really was out there this week was the Chiefs NASCAR package, which is bringing on uh, Tano Passing No and keeping D Ford and Justin Houston out there along with Chris Jones and Alan Bailey up front as kind of a five-man rush. But they brought Dorian O'Daniel in and removed Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens. So he was the only off-ball guy there. And he was primarily tasked with just man coverage against the running back as the running back came out in the flat. Nothing too sophisticated there. But they obviously trust him as the sole off-ball linebacker in that situation. you got to think that with that in mind, he can, he can grow and learn and maybe develop a little more and gain some of those uh, nickel snaps and maybe even some dime snaps. So we'll see. Hopefully soon. At the Scootness asks, what exactly was Denver doing to stymie the Chiefs' offense in the first three quarters? Um, is that going to be kind of uh, was that part part of a blueprint in the future? Uh, Craig starts off. Uh, um, maybe, maybe they, they got physical with our receivers. Uh, we couldn't really find a whole lot of space. I know, I know Matt's done a lot more looking at it than I have, but they, they really did a good job bringing pressure and trying to delay Pat and force him to hold the ball a beat longer. That's something that we had discussed, keeping him in the pocket and forcing him to, you know, throw off his timing a little bit. Denver did that and that, that did rattle him a little bit, but I think he was still pretty good. I don't know that that's the full blueprint yet, but it's definitely an avenue. Yeah, it almost seems like the Broncos staff was out there reading that kind of tweet chain we talked about last week that uh, Gary had started for us on Twitter because they did exactly what we talked about. They got deep off the edges, and Von Miller came out after the game and said specifically off the right side they were just trying not to let Pat roll out to his right. 
Right. And they were getting deep off the edges and then just chasing from there rather than kind of trying to cut the corner tight. So it's something we'd already mentioned a little bit. You want to keep him in the pocket, and Pat did a great job staying in the pocket as long as he could. So it's a little bit of a start to a blueprint. And then as far as the coverage goes, yeah, I think they showed something. Make these Chiefs receivers beat you. The defenders, don't let them beat space. Like, don't let them find space. Don't let Reed scheme guys wide open down the field. Challenge them at the line of scrimmage or at least at their breaks and make them beat you. And especially if you're going to have an injury to Sammy Watkins or Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, that just limits the amount of guys that can do it. Because I think what we kind of saw is Robinson's still not 100% trustworthy to be in the right spot. And Chris Conley struggles to beat that one-on-one tight coverage on a consistent basis. So... Yeah, I think there's a little bit there to work with. It'll be interesting to see how the Chiefs adapt to it going forward, though, because this is something that they hadn't seen pretty much this entire season. One thing about that, I think Pat adjusted fantastically uh, to his negotiation in the pocket, and I think that made a big difference because you're absolutely right. Denver was trying to bring that front side pressure, and he actually really did a good job of managing it and managing the space to step up in the pocket. I was so impressed by that. At Darren D. Piggott asked... Looked like Tano Passanio was getting some pass rush in last night. Is it true or are my eyes deceiving, Craig? No, he definitely was. He he looked good out there. And in crucial moments, too. It wasn't just the NASCAR package that he was out there. At the end of the game, when the Chiefs were do or die, they needed a stop. They needed to stop Denver from scoring. Tano was out there, you know, with D Ford out with his groin injury. So that screams to me everything that I need to know, that they trust him on the field more than they trust Breland Speaks. Speaks is still getting snaps. They're still trying to develop him, but I think Tano's the go-to guy if Ford ever has to miss any amount of time. Yeah, this was the first game where Passanio saw more snaps than Breland Speaks. I thought it was going to be close, and I thought it was mostly kind of like a run-down or run-pass-down versus pass-down thing, but no, he actually played two more full snaps than Speaks, which is, I think, a good sign. It's almost like Reed after his press conference last week saying they're even and he didn't know their snap counts, like had somebody bring it to his attention. Like, hey, you're not playing the better player as much as you're playing the worst player or something. (laughs) But he looked good while he was out there, too. He's similar to a lot of Justin Houston's rushes. Not all before people get too mad. Justin Houston was still very good, especially to start the game. But he gets the corner a lot. He's just not finishing quite as quick as he needs to. And Keenum was getting the ball out pretty fast. But he was starting to get the corner a little bit. So I think with more reps, I mean, he's just only going to get better. So I'm glad they're starting to get him out there. Maybe Speaking of, get, oh, go, sorry, speaking go of Keenum getting the ball out fast, I got, I got a little breaking news for our listeners right here before my post goes up. Go. 2.3 seconds on the day, on average. That's oh, wow. That's what happens when D Ford is across from the field. The <laughs> I, that was quick. To pay the man. No, do not pay the man. <laughs> Let somebody else get that comp pick. You know how I am. Speaking of Bearcats. Future Oakland Raider. Ah, I like it. At Chief Bearcats, the, uh, the trip McCracken, only we're not firing him, of uh, Chief's Twitter. Uh, what's your game day food, Matthew? Oh, man. My game day food's not very consistent, so I don't have a great one. Uh, just a protein shake count. That's like the only thing we have <laughs> oh, on a daily basis, on a that, game day basis. That uh, is the most food. Matt thing ever. It is. It, but, hey. Hey, I mean, this is a real shake, though. We put a lot of stuff in there. We get the peanut butter, the chopped almonds. You know, we got the good stuff. But uh, if I'm going to make food, we're going to do uh, some uh, uh, stuffed jalapenos. We'll get some cheese, wrap it up in some bacon, 
cook it up a little bit. Maybe bacon wrap date. Something with bacon is where we're going with it. But for the most <laughs> part, we don't cook during game days. It's all about cheese football. Yeah, for me, uh, I'd, I like to rotate a lot as well. I like to throw stuff on the smoker, ribs, pork shoulders, briskets. I, I do a lot of smoked meats on game days when I can, overnight cooks. Uh, this next weekend, I'm actually making my famous jambalaya, and oh, that's going to be Woo! awesome. So looking forward to that. So, yeah, game day food. You know Kansas Q39 so we can just skip the rest of this maddie do you know how close we were to getting you in and out of a question in like less than a minute and then you you filibustered on the ingredients of your protein shake correct Uh, i felt judgment through my headset so i had to answer you could have just you could have said protein shake we would have laughed we could have moved on um okay i've i've probably eaten chipotle more than anything on game day in my life uh it's just it's it's always it's always kind of in the back of my mind it might be a habit can't go wrong with chipotle at jonathan revis asks talk about kareem hunt a little bit huge factor last night i know we were all impressed uh maddie start us off yeah hunt was really good uh i was impressed with him he looked to be in a little bit better shape so he's starting to get whipped into game shape a little bit i was telling you guys earlier the most impressive thing to me was hurdling a guy and getting down the sideline into a foot race, he was able to stay in the game for another play. Like, that honestly took me by surprise after seeing him kind of <laughs> at camp and through some of the early games. Now, he came out right after that, but he still got up, got back in the huddle, and ran a quick play. But overall, when he was good, he ran hard. He did lower his helmet for a hit, so I do wonder if that's something he's going to have to watch out for in the future because I'm pretty sure he did it a couple times last year too. So I wonder if that's going to go back kind of the officiating review and be like, hey, this is exactly what we mean when a running back uses his helmet as a weapon. So we just kind of got to watch out for that. I think it's got to be something that someone does need to set him down with because I'm pretty sure he's done it a few times in the past couple years. But without him, we don't win that game. Yeah, that's the absolute truth. He was great catching the ball. He was really great running the ball. A completely different player than we've seen, you know, when Matt said that he wasn't a good player earlier this offseason. We all read the article. We know. So (laughs) (laughs) I I think maybe the enemy's just of his of his rear all season so far. And I think it's really kind of clicking and he's he's back in football shape again. So Here's hoping that goes forward. If it does, they're going to be really, really dynamic as, as if they already weren't. Me and Barber had a moment when we were watching the game. Uh, both just continue to be amazed by his contact balance. It's like one of my favorite traits about him. It's it's my favorite trait about him. I love it, and uh, I love to continue to see that. At an average Gatsby asks Craig... How great was Adalberto Mondesi in your visit to Kansas City last weekend? He was good at the baseballing. <laughs> was that an Italian pasta dish that you just named? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. The baseballing? <laughs> no, I, had, I was up in Kansas City, got to catch a Royals game. He'd actually teased on Twitter before that that he was going to have a conversation with me and try and convince me that Mondesi was the best 23-year-old athlete in Kansas City right now. Oh, wow. Um, so I love Adalberto Mondesi, and we are in the era of Adalberto Mahomes, a multi-sport cyborg that's here to dominate professional sports. But Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, and Adalberto Mondesi is fantastic. But come on. 
Let's just be honest here. Um, at Clint McKenzie asks, in this post-Earl Thomas period, I keep hearing, get Patrick Peterson. Is that feasible? Um, what do you guys think? Uh, is, is that going to make an impact? And also, is that going to make an impact the same way a safety would, Craig? No, it, it won't. I, I've been on record saying the Chiefs corners have been pretty good lately. Kendall Fuller had a pretty bad game this week, but I, I don't think that's the norm. I think Skandrick, Nelson, and Fuller are a fine group. A top-level safety changes this defense in a giant way for all three of those guys and for the underneath defenders. I don't think that it's even close that a top-level CB would make that much of a difference. Yeah, I'm with him. I don't think getting Patrick Peterson is very feasible, and even if we did bring him in, it would be awesome to get to kind of ignore half the field as far as help, but we already don't provide a ton of help with safeties over the top, so... It's going to pale in comparison to even getting a upper echelon safety, not even a top, yeah. top notch one. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be top level, just uh, above average, slightly above average. He's not Ron Parker. Yes. Guys, Josh Shaw is the answer. Duh. Uh. <laughs> at, at Ned Ewing, 77. What's going on with our inside linebackers? I expected more explosive plays from Raglan and Hitchin. Uh, I noticed Raglan finally made a play in the backfield for a loss. Is it me, or do they not look good, Matthew? I was very skeptical of the Anthony Hitchens signing for as much as we signed it from. I saw the tape with Dallas, and it was pretty good, but I had my doubts about just the overall athleticism and how and where he was going to play for the Chiefs. Last year, I loved Reggie Ragland. I thought he made a huge impact when he was actually able to get on the field. But at the end of the day right now, neither guy is playing anywhere close to as good as they did last year. I can't exactly say what it is with Hitchens. Raglan, to me, just looks still out of shape and just looks slow and a little a little too big for even his role is still a strong side inside linebacker. He just looks a little too big. Like I said, I don't have anything for Hitchens. I was skeptical when he first brought him in. I love his attitude, his work ethic, and his kind of his demeanor on the field. He just can't do everything that we ask of that position right now, and it really shows. And even this game, he was kind of struggling with the thing that he's supposed to be good at, which is kind of plug and run holes. He was getting reached by offensive linemen often and then not getting off the blocks until six, seven, eight yards down the field. Yeah, he, he that's supposed to be why they brought him in, because Derek Johnson was a block slipper. He So was Anthony Hitchens. He was a guy that got to the gap, got through, got past linemen. He's not doing that right now. Like you said, Reggie's slow. You guys keep calling him a nose tackle, the third nose tackle on the <laughs> Chiefs roster. Yeah, He just doesn't look good. Hitchens doesn't look good. And their understanding of where everything's going doesn't look good. Reggie blew coverage on the fullback pass that happened this week. Again, similar to the Juszczyk play against San Francisco. They just, they're not there. They're not there at all. And I hope they get there because they both need to be there. Guys, I just want to take you back to a time, I don't know, five, six months ago when we had pieces in uh, the KC Star all over the place talking about Reggie Raglan and Anthony Hitchens and their bond and, and, and how close they've gotten and how effective of communicators they've become together and, and how they're watching tape together. And I haven't seen one ounce of that chemistry on the field so far. No, not at all. They're, they seem to be running all over each other. They seem to be not shooting the right gaps. They seem to be not passing coverage to each other well. It's it's bad. Keep keep Anthony Hitchens away from the training table wherever Reggie's sitting because uh, 
We we don't need two two uh, extra nose tackles on the field at any given point. At the Wild Chief asks, if the trends continue, do you feel better about re-signing Ford and getting out of the Justin Houston contract or letting him walk and keeping Houston? Can only have one in the scenario. Let's let the wrong person start. <laughs> All right, Matthew. Sit, I, look, sit hold on, back and relax. Okay, go Ma- ahead. Matthew didn't even let me say his name. I said the wrong person. Matthew jumped in. I think in the back of his mind, he knows the answer. Go, Maddie. Oh, this isn't about me being wrong. This is just about me correcting your false narratives. (laughs) So, now, in reality, I think you have to keep Houston no matter what this year. The dead money is just going to be a little bit too much to let him go. So, the real logical move is you're keeping Houston no matter what. So, in a scenario where we can only have one, it doesn't make sense to keep Ford and cut Houston. However, (laughs) if you're going to allow us to keep two for one year and I can sign Ford and then get rid of Houston after next season, that's the option you take, and it's a no-brainer to me. D. Ford has hands down been a better player. He's not as good against the run, but he's not as terrible as he used to be either. You run away from Ford, you have to put a hat on him or he's chasing the ball down from behind. You run at Ford, it's still pretty 50-50 if he's going to completely hold the edge or not, but he's just not, he's not giving up everything when you run at him anymore. And as a pass rusher, he provides so much more consistency than Houston. The issue with signing him for even a short-term deal is just the fact that, I mean, even again now, he's a little dinged up, and you just never know how many games he's going to play. So, like, I fully understand the risk that goes with it, but how often does a bad defense let their best defensive player walk in free agency so they can get a third-round pick? An end of the third-round pick so they can draft another Dorian O'Daniel. The Seahawks, Earl Thomas, coming up this (laughs) offseason. Um, <laughs> now, D, D is by far the best player on the Chiefs defense right now. It's not close. That also doesn't mean that that back injury is a ticking time bomb. It also doesn't mean that he's constantly picking up little nagging injuries. I hated to see that the groin was tightening up again after you know having it the week before. We might be dealing with this all season. If he can't be on the field, he's not worth it. And like you said... Justin Houston's dead money is huge next year. So paying D to not be on the field and paying Justin Houston to be somewhere else is just a recipe for disaster. There's two soft injury or t- soft tissue injuries already for D Ford this year. But look, I, I totally agree with a lot of the points being made here. And it's the Chiefs are kind of in a weird situation right now where they have a lot of money tied up in players that aren't playing to the level of their contract or playing at all. Eric Berry and uh, Justin Houston both, you know, I mean, Eric, Justin Houston's been fine, but he's not up to the level of pay that he's made to this point. And then Eric Berry, we all know the issue. Anthony Hitchens' contract gets big next year too. Like, it's it's kind of a weird spot for this defense, an underperforming defense with big cap hits on the uh, on the horizon too. Absolutely. And I'm going to jump back in here real quick. Both of you guys, what would you pay for? Like, what would you specifically draw the line at as far as paying for it on a per year basis going next year? Oh, that's really I, tough. That's really tough because we know his a, injury history. I, 10 million. I'd give him one year and I, I mean, one year, 10 million. I'd think about it. I mean, he's on a, he's on a, he's on like one year. I wouldn't, I would, I don't want to go multi-year with D Ford. We don't, we, the Chiefs can't continue to 
have the issues that they're having right now with high-paid players that aren't even seeing the field or playing at a level close to what they're paying for, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a maddening cycle right now. It started with Tamba. It started with Tamba Hali. Uh, and part of that's because D Ford wasn't developing and getting on the field enough at that point. Now we're seeing a situation where we're thinking about doing the same thing with a guy who has an injury history again. You don't want to pay that guy long term. No, that's pretty fair. I was just wondering what the number was because, I mean, at 10 a year, roughly, you're paying him a little bit more than Bruce Irvin or Jerry Hughes, a little bit less than somebody like Robert Quinn or Nick Perry. I mean, I feel like that's a plenty acceptable number for him to ask for and for a team to offer him so that's why i was just kind of wondering where you guys are falling down on that yeah it's more sure. no it's it's more years than than the number i mean i think I'd, i might even pay him a little bit more than 10 frankly it's just it's just creating a big you know situation that you're in right now you can't continue the cycle they gotta they gotta break it uh, at Willie Beeman, 13 asks, what makes the Jags' defense better than the Broncos' defense? Do you think we'll see the same game plan against the offense this weekend, Matthew? What makes it better? Everything. Um, <laughs> outside of Von Miller, everything. And even that, I mean, no. Von Miller's very good. Uh, so he's he would be the only person, I think, on the Broncos' defense that would even get a significant amount of snaps for the Jaguars. Their linebackers are faster and better in coverage, so that's going to limit, in theory, how much Travis damage Kelsey can do, especially late in the game. I think both their corners are better than what Denver has at corner. You could argue that Harris is up there with those guys, but after Harris, Roby's got nothing on Jalen Ramsey or A.J. Bouye. The Nichols have been good, even though they lost their guy from last year. It's just a matter just every position is just pretty much Denver's defense, but better. Now, they run a little bit different scheme, like I kind of talked about at the beginning of this. It's a cover three match kind of scheme, but that still looks like man-to-man coverage a lot of times, and they're going to play just as physical, if not more physical, than the Broncos at the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, you're going to see the same general game plan. You're going to see some pass rushers overloading one side of the offensive line just trying to force Pat to read only and throw into half of a field. Yeah, fully agree, and even their defensive line is just full of studs up front there Malik Jackson is just destroying fools this year Clay Campbell's great I mean they just they're stacked everywhere all over that defense and I'm going to posit a theory here maybe the Chiefs defense is better in match because they've been working on it knowing that they were going to play the Jaguars this year hey Ooh, that's an interesting theory Hmm. that's not that's not maybe maybe Probably maybe, not. maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Could um, at the Jeff Dixon asks, does the Jags O present similar matchup nightmares as what we saw from tonight's game? And does Bortles hit the throws that Case Keenum missed? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> I wouldn't trust Blake Bortles to go to like a kids arcade and knock over one bottle <laughs> on a little throwing game let alone make a big time throw to win a game yeah. i uh i got a stat to add real quick um it's not really actually it's not even a stat it's a broad generalization but it's true trust me you can look it up blake bortles oh, has been blake bortles has been better at home than he's been on the road so far this season and i don't know if it's been particularly close that's one of the factors here. I think, you know, he's been better at home. 
But uh, yeah, I sorry, Craig, you had some takes. I just wanted it, to jump in there with that. Yeah, no, they they do. They like to do a lot of stuff underneath. That's kind of what's killed the Chiefs so far. I wouldn't say that they've got any any real burners. They got Moncrief. He's not really a burner, but they've they've got a lot of good running backs and and some underneath wide receivers that can do some damage to the Chiefs. I we'll see this week. I think that Denver's game plan is very similar to what we'll see out of Jacksonville, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say that Bortles is necessarily better than Keenum. He's just different. He's going to run more than Keenum is. That's something that we'll have to keep a spy on Bortles. He, he'll turn, you know, busted plays into 15 yards just with his legs. So we'll we'll see, but it'll be similar, and they'll tear us up underneath probably. It's like having to pick, like, between the two worst flavors of potato chip. I mean, it's like, you know, you can have sour cream and onion, or you can have... I don't know. It's like so, having to pick between Ron Parker and Breland Speaks. <laughs> That's a rough call. Which one's older? <laughs> um, the best part about Blake Bortles is the jokes from The Good Place. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> That's the, the Blake Bortles story, like bits, is, is fantastic on that show. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm not worried about Blake Bortles as much as I'm worried about just the fact that the the Denver or the Jaguars defense can just completely change a game. Like that's my biggest concern with that with that game. I'm not sure I'm picking the Chiefs to win this week. Actually, I don't, are you are you picking the Chiefs to win, Matt? I don't know yet. I got to get in a little bit deeper into the Jaguars film, kind of see what's going on with it. But I will say on offense, I mean, I didn't jump in yet. But the one thing that's got me a little worried as far as Blake Bortles goes, just actually him running the ball. I don't know if we quite have the speed in the middle of the field to stop him from running. So you kind of see some stuff like you saw against New England or Pittsburgh in the playoffs last year. That's kind of a little bit of a wild card for him, especially if he's not throwing the ball well. But at this point, I mean, it's going to be a close game, and I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to go with the Chiefs yet or not. Well, I started this podcast by saying that the Chiefs were going to go 4-0. They are. And then they're going to lose their next two. I'm sticking with it. I think, uh, Maddie. I think that they could just have backup nose tackle Reggie Ragland spy Bortles, right? <laughs> Oof. That'd be – maybe Speaks. Ooh, oh. there we go. I think we've got a lot of options there. Um, yeah, I, we'll see. I, I, I still haven't picked the. I still haven't figured out who I'm gonna pick yet. That's gonna do it for us this week, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week to talk about what we saw from the Jaguars game. Catch you later. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show. It seemed smart. It seems smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another, seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.